0: This is a squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This podcast episode is brought to you in partnership with the Australian Electoral Commission. To learn more about how the AEC is supporting the 2022 federal election, you can go to aec.gov.au. Welcome to our Squiz the Election series, your shortcut to the 2022 federal election. Preferential voting, proportional voting, two-party preferred, voting above or below the line. These are just some of the features of our electoral system that we've talked about during this series. But today, we're pulling out the big guns. Yep. We're talking to the Australian Electoral Commission's Evan Eakin-Smith. He's the Director of Media and Digital Engagement. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of voting and exactly how the system works to decide who will be in power for the
1: next three years.
0: I'm Claire Kimball.
1: I'm Evan Eakin-Smith.
0: Hello, Evan. It's wonderful to talk to you. I imagine you're a bit busy at the moment.
1: Yeah, busy times at the AEC, but a lot of fun.
0: Before we get into it, we should really take a moment just to appreciate Australian elections. We're one of the best in the world at running efficient, secure and fair elections. So, Evan, wow us with a few facts about what's about to take place in the lead up to and on the 21st of May.
1: You've stolen my talking points there. Yep, free, fair federal elections is what we're all about. We've got 17.2 million Australians enrolled. That's a lot of people to provide a service to. So, We'll have about 8,000 polling places. We'll need 4.5 million pencils, 10,000 recycling bins even, people voting from Antarctica. It is a huge logistical undertaking.
0: Yep, a lot of organisation goes into it. And as promised, let's dive into the nuts and bolts of it. Squizzes are a curious lot and we've had a lot of questions about exactly how our system of voting works. So let's start with the House of Reps, given it's where the government's decided. And this is where preferential voting comes in. When it comes to counting votes for a winner, it's not as simple as a system like first-past-the-post.
1: No, it's not. Preferential voting is great. If your candidate doesn't get elected, well, your vote flows to your number two candidate. If they're not one of the top two, it can flow again down to your number three and so on. Your vote in the House of Representatives will always count to one of the top two candidates.
0: Evan, in previous episodes, we've talked a bit about the count and how candidates are discarded in that count. But what you've just described is that your vote actually works somewhere else.
1: Absolutely right. Uh, When they just say discarded, it means that your candidate hasn't got enough first preference votes or enough votes in general during the count to be one of the top two candidates So you just have your vote flow down uh, to your next candidate. And it's as you number your ballot paper, nobody sides your preferences but you.
0: So on election day or beforehand, if I can't get to a polling booth on the 21st of May, uh, I need to take my pencil and need to number the candidates in order of my preference. Do I have to fill in every box?
1: Yes, that's the requirement on the House of Representatives. You're choosing not just your favourite candidate or your next favourite candidate, but also who you least want to see in Parliament, Uh, put them last. Uh, If there's a few people who you really don't want to see in Parliament, you have to make a decision who you like most and who you like least. You've got to number every single box because ultimately your vote could flow down to one of those bottom selections. And so you'll still get a say, even if it is between two people who you'd rather not be in Parliament you can have a say on who you would really rather not be in parliament.
0: All right, so I've voted correctly. I've put a number in every box on the ballot paper. When that's all done, when I've cast my vote, what happens to my ballot paper?
1: Uh, it depends if you're voting on the day, but at the end of the night, your ballot papers will be tipped out and our polling officials will start a count. Uh, temporary staff, 100,000-old Australians who are part of that counting operation. Party in Canada appointed scrutineers as well who oversee it. Once they've done a count on election night, we package them back up. They'll be unpackaged in the days that follow election day to do another count. You do anything important, you do it more than once, of course. So it, it's a really detailed process.
0: So, Evan, the count is on. When it comes, though, to sitting down with those ballot papers to work out the winner, what are your officials actually doing with them?
1: It's funny, the AEC the doesn't actually uh, determine who forms government, uh, and that sounds a little bit funny. What we're looking at is individual contests. So there's 151 electoral divisions, and we're looking at the result in those electoral divisions. For a party or a coalition of parties to form government, uh, they need to be able to go back to the Governor-General and say that they command a majority of those seats Magic number for that is 76. So that's what determines what party or coalition of parties will form government.
0: It's an interesting point, Evan, that the Electoral Commission doesn't actually declare the winner of that election. Uh, But when it comes to election night, there are a lot of eyes on the Electoral Commission.
1: An electoral administrator's dream is a wide margin, doesn't matter who to. (laughs) So in terms of election night and getting a result, uh, we count all the votes that we've had cast that day, the vast majority of early votes, but there will be a quantity of postal votes and potentially a larger one this election due to COVID, as well as votes cast away from home, people travelling interstate or overseas. So that's what will happen on election night. Hopefully, uh, there'll be an indication, but we can't guarantee that. And if we need to wait, well, our mantra is right, not rushed.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Evan, whether you're going to get your wish on that. It sounds like it's going to be a tight result, certainly from looking at the polls and what the analysts are saying. But I wish you luck in that regard. And look, I know more than a few people will just want an answer to the question about who won. That might be very tricky if it's close. So let's look at that next. Evan, we've mentioned pre-poll and postal votes a couple of times, but let's just focus on that a bit more for a second. It seems that more people will be voting early in this election than we've ever seen before. And also there's going to be some really tight races in this election. So the fact that the pre-poll and postal votes won't get counted on election night is quite significant and something to keep in mind.
1: Absolutely. And there is a 13-day period that we have after election day for postal votes to come back to us, allowing for the mailing system, of course. Really, if you look at an electoral division, it's about 100,000 odd people. Uh, If we have a larger percentage of people postal voting in any single division, let's say we have 25,000, that's 25,000 votes that we can't count on election night. There's a lot of factors to determining whether or not somebody can claim victory or be commiserating in defeat uh, on election night. And the primary ones are just how many postal votes or how many votes are in envelopes and just how close the contests are.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting night for those political party officials with everything stacking up. Just when that all comes in and we do know about what that result is looking like, I'm just wondering when can the parties ask for a recount in those close races?
1: There's got to be a reason. We have policies in place for recounts when the margin is under a certain amount. I believe for House of Representatives, that amount is 100. Outside of that, if somebody wants to request a recount, they can always request a recount to the AEC, but not for just because they feel like it and they didn't like the result. There has to be something that suggests that there might be a different figure to what we've come up with.
0: Let's leave the House of Reps there for a second and turn our attention to the Senate. It's proportional voting in the Senate. It's not uh, what we do with preferential voting in the House of Reps. Just explain a little bit about why that's the way to do it there.
1: Yeah, the Senate's a bit different, is you're not just electing one person. Uh, In the Senate, if you're in a state, this election, you'll be electing six senators. If you're in a territory, you'll be electing two. Depending on where you live around Australia, you might get a pretty big white tablecloth, as it's sometimes referred to. So it can feel a little bit daunting. But it is simple in terms of your options of how you vote. You either vote above the line for parties or groups of your choice, Or you vote below the line for individual candidates all
0: right evan so i'm at the polling booth i've still got my trusty pencil in hand i put one number above the line for that block of candidates or i have to pick a minimum of 12 candidates if i'm voting below the line is that right
1: yeah so you weren't quite right there um you vote above the line for parties or groups you've got a number at least one to six And that's when the system changed a couple of elections ago and yes below the line at least one to 12. You can go more if you want to that's fine Uh, but at least that much. When you're voting above the line number one for a particular party where your preferences then go is immediately below it to the candidates in that party and in that party only and in the order that they're shown on the ballot paper. So all the information is there for you. Once you exhaust your preferences there it then heads back up to your number two above the line. So Nobody directs preferences across parties except for you.
0: All right. So voting in the Senate, the quickest way to do it is above the line numbering one to six. We've got it. In my defence, Evan, I like voting below the line. So I'm in it for the long haul. Just on that, those ballot papers for the Senate, they don't necessarily get counted on election night, do they? And they must be a nightmare to count.
1: They're not just a nightmare to count, they're a nightmare to unfold in the first place. We do try and get through them all in terms of first preferences only on election night, but then you're right, we do package them up uh, and we send them to centralized counting centers from first preferences, you'll get some form of indication, perhaps of the first three, maybe four senators in a state contest who might be elected. But then there is a a reasonable wait and the Senate count can take up to about a month, which sounds ludicrous, but we've got hundreds of millions of Senate preferences.
0: Oh, look, hats off to all of those people working on election day and counting the votes and getting everyone through. It's a hugely important job. All right, Evan, I think we've covered that off really well. Thanks for helping us with that. Your job with us isn't done yet. We're going to be talking to you next week about some important things that we need to know if you're voting on Election Day.
1: Brilliant. Looking forward to it.
0: Thanks for joining us. Until next time.